The more that you read, the more things you will know. The more that you learn, the more places you'll go. Dr. Seuss. Hi, I'm PJ with ZooFit and welcome to Zoo Notable, where we read books that help change the world and share how we can use that wisdom to change our lives. And whether you're an animal care professional or just a lover of nature and the environment, Zoo Notables helps you grow and level up your life. Well, hello everyone, PJ here. This is our last episode of the year before I go on my reading break and prepare 2023 for amazing insights and discoveries from my ever-growing library of books. I just wanted to use this as a chance to kind of review some of my favorite books and favorite ideas from this past year. I read and shared Zoo Notables on over 40 books since last October. Some were as old classics like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and Animal Vegetable Miracle. And some were just published this past year like Zen and the Art of Saving the Planet and Finding Eco-Happiness. So let's take a look at some of my favorite books this year and my favorite ideas that changed my life. And we're going to start with a couple from the end of last year. That's Planet Palm and The Secret Lives of Bats. Now, both of these books taught me how to have empathy for all people. Yes, even poachers. So Merlin Tuttle, who is the real Batman, or maybe call him the Bat Wizard, if you will, he actually befriended poachers in Thailand rather than berate them or turn them in. In his words, they knew where to find the bats that he wanted to study. Because of his attitude of friendship rather than ambivalence, Merlin gradually changed the poacher's behavior. And by befriending rather than berating, we can reach the higher goals together too. With Planet Palm, I finally understood just how nefarious the oil palm industry is and its role in the conservation, or lack thereof, of many endangered species. The palm oil offers a Sophie's choice to their workers. Now, while the industry is still far from perfect in environmental practices, it tells that by being in the region, they are offering jobs to stop people from feeling that they don't have other options besides poaching. However, these jobs typically pay as little as $6 a day. Now, having to meet quotas set by the industry, many workers pull in their families, including children, instead of sending them to school. Then you have to look at the payment from the black market for endangered animals. This up to $3,000 for a single hornbill. So think about this. If you had a family to support, which would you choose? Your family in hopes for a better life for them or a lifetime of servitude and perpetuating the cycle of poverty? And while the palm oil industry isn't out there hunting the hornbills and other endangered species to extinction, you just have to begin to wonder who really is responsible for the devastation in Southeast Asia. I also remember reading Stephen King's memoir on writing for National Novel Writing Month last year. His main idea that I originally felt only pertained to writers was this. Write your first draft with the door closed. Second draft with the door open. Now, he means writers, and this includes me. I'm super guilty of this. They have a tendency to think about how their readers or how their editors, their critics, their reviewers, how the world will like or hate their stories. But that stalls us. 
So Stephen King, the most prolific writer of our time, author of hundreds of stories, recommends that we write the first draft with the door closed, writing what we love, what brings us joy, where we want to see the story go. And we close out all the critics, even those who think they're just trying to help us. The more I thought about this advice, though, the more I felt it pertains to life, not just writing. How many of us say no to ourselves and yes to everyone else because we are afraid of disappointing others? This is us writing with the door open. It's important to work with others, but certainly not to the detriment of our health and even our dreams. Take time each day to write with the door closed. Do things for you, not for everyone else. And once you've taken care of yourself, followed your bliss, as Joseph Campbell tells us, then we can open the door and be that radiant exemplar that helps our family, our community, and the planet. And this is so similar to another favorite book from last year, Brene Brown's Braving the Wilderness. Her idea of writing permission slips to be ourselves has helped me stop a lot of inner critic nagging that I need to do more and be more for others. So write yourself a permission slip to close the door to the rest of the world and just be ourselves, even if it's just for a moment. Now, most of my notes are me reading books and just marveling at the life lessons. Now, on occasion, though, I had the opportunity to speak with the author. Now, two of my favorites from this past year were Ken Ramirez and Sandy Schwartz. Now, Ken is a renowned animal trainer who I've met many times over the years. His book, The Eye of the Trainer, was published in 2020, but he was nice enough to sit down and discuss some of his highlights with me. His book and our discussion was Truly, two minds just geeking out, but his stories reminded me of why I love training so much. To me, my favorite stories, and I do have to say there are a lot of favorite stories there, so check out our discussion to hear them again, were Ken training butterflies to fly across a football stadium on cue. This is absolutely spectacular and proof that anything can be trained, and that means whales, dogs, donkeys, butterflies, and yes, even you. You can use positive reinforcement to shape and change your life. My other favorite story was Serena, the search and rescue dog, who went down to a trapped firefighter and by, and by coaching the firefighter to give cues through the radio, was able to retrieve the blueprints to the building and help get help quickly to the firefighter and the rescue team. This reminds me of why we train, not to show off our training skills, not just for these great days, but for the days that really, really matter on our worst days possible. I have to admit, I also had a similar geek out session with Sandy, the author of Finding Eco Happiness. The two of us come from very different walks of life, but we do have very similar values. Her book came out just in time for Earth Month, and we talked about how making time to get out in nature is good for us mentally, physically, and emotionally. It's also good for the planet. Again, there were just too many ideas that resonated with me, but one of the most thoughtful exercises that I loved in finding eco-happiness was the loving-kindness meditation towards nature. Now, you may be familiar with the loving-kindness meditation. That's the one that says, may you be safe, may you be strong and healthy, may you be happy, may you be at ease. Well, in finding eco-happiness, Sandy encourages us to practice this meditation towards nature, towards the grass, the forest, 
all of the creatures. Even try loving kindness meditation towards spiders or maybe whatever creature that you fear, dislike, or that grosses you out. I'm telling you that this practice is uplifting and yes, it totally fills you with eco-happiness. Then there was Zen and the Art of Saving the Planet. If you're not familiar with Thich Nhat Hanh's work, then you are missing out on one of the most inspiring people of our time. Now, unfortunately, Thich Nhat Hanh did pass away in January, but he left his mark on millions of people. His last book, Zen and the Art of Saving the Planet, was truly profound. And I love Thich Nhat Hanh's work. He was at his heart a conservationist, not just for the environment, but for humanity and the entire planet. What he told us in Zen and the Art of Saving the Planet made me feel humble and an overwhelming love for all creatures, including humans, other mammals, insects, and yeah, let's go this way and say even plants. The biggest idea from this book was the first passage I read when I flipped open the book just to check it out. It simply read, if you don't respect yourself, it will be difficult to love and respect others or the earth. He goes on to say that compassion fatigue isn't too much compassion, but actually not enough for yourself. So folks, if we are to have a hope or a prayer in saving the planet, we have to start with ourselves. This is what Zufit is all about, and the compassion that Thich Nhat Hanh shows his reader in every person he's ever met is inspiring and moving. I was also very inspired by a book I've read about a decade ago called Where the Wild Things Were. Man, talk about life lessons from the animal kingdom. Wolves in Yellowstone teach us how we are all connected. The health of a wolf pack is directly connected to the health of the ecosystem. And that goes for us too. Our own health is connected to the health of the planet. Sea otters teach us about keystone habits as they are keystone species. You get your keystone habit in place and everything else is a breeze. If you remove that one habit, it's difficult to have a super awesome day. See, stars show us that each one of us has a very important purpose in life. And even wildlife researchers can teach us that we never know everything. And not only is that okay, that's awesome. So what lessons can you learn from the wild? Stay in touch with your wild side and keep working to find out. One of my recent favorites of this past year is braiding sweetgrass. Wow, I actually read it earlier in the year, but I reread it for Indigenous Peoples Day. I was literally brought to tears reading Robin Wall Kimmerer's thoughts on the earth loving us back. It's the big idea to end all big ideas. Robin asks a simple question. What do you suppose would happen if people believed this crazy notion that the earth loved you back? My answer, we would honor her, we would take care of her, and we would show her as much gratitude as possible. And I believe this. I truly believe the earth loves us. As crazy and outright selfish as we are, the earth loves us. And since reading that passage, I've tried to honor the earth and nature by showing appreciation and compassion towards the ultimate mother's love, the love from our planet. And finally, we get to my favorite book of the year. It was close one between braiding sweetgrass, but the winner was Blue Mind by Wallace J. Nichols. 
No, was Blue Mind as riveting and well-written as Braiding Sweetgrass? No, not exactly. But it did pull together some of all the other ideas that we've talked about this year. Empathy, self-care, mindfulness, and compassion. And it also did something that no other book has done. It sparked in me a desire to return to the zoo field more than any other experience I've had in the last seven years. Nichols preaches about positive conservation efforts, employing empathy with his research and conservation projects, understanding others rather than trying to change them. He shows us how water heals us, water nourishes us, and how water can transform us. And by being close to it, learning about it, experiencing it, and practicing mindfulness around it, we ourselves learn, experience, and feel ways to protect and conserve water. I'm inspired to promote this message at my local zoo and aquarium now as a docent and maybe hopefully soon as something more. And when a book moves you as much as Blue Mind moved me, it has to be at the top of your favorites list. Before we continue with our Zoo Notable, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. I couldn't do these Notables without them. So we'll be right back after these messages. So there's my review of my Zoo Notables this year. I did want to send you off as I get ready for my reading break with one last special Tell Me a Story. This is a personal story about how my husband and I ended up in Tacoma, Washington. Over the summer, I received the opportunity to become a foster parent through the local Humane Society. I filled out an application which required the number of my landlord and permission to call them. I made this horrible assumption when several days later I was approved. I thought that the Humane Society had contacted my landlord to ensure that they were okay with me fostering cats. Now, a few weeks later, I got a call that a pregnant cat needed a foster home and would I like to take her? I didn't hesitate for a second before answering yes. So we brought our expectant mother home, this gorgeous, gorgeous tortoise shell cat who was as affectionate as can be. She had wide saucer eyes and she just stared into you when she wanted love and attention. One of our very first cats that my husband and I ever owned was, a, was also a tortoise shell, but she... She, well, she was a bitch. She was, she was not a fun cat to be around sometimes. This cat, though, she was just the complete opposite. We fell head over heels. So we named the cat Diva because she loved being the center of attention, but mainly because the Humane Society sent her to our house with a huge luxury carrier, a dozen blankets, three cases of food, plus a bag of dry kibble, two scratching posts, a playpen, a heating pad, and more toys than we knew what to do with. You know, like a true diva going on a weekend holiday. Now, diva settled into our home and about 10 days later gave birth to five beautiful, wonderful kittens. And then three days after that, she gave birth to two more. <laughs> yeah, weird. We, we know. <laughs> but diva was just an excellent mom. I mean, she was attentive, she was loving, she was just the perfect mother to her seven kittens. Now, about a week after they were born, our landlord, who lived right across the street from us and knew we had a new cat, asked about her. I wasn't home, but Chris bragged, like any other proud papa would, about our seven babies. 
Our landlord flipped out. Seven babies? No, 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 that's not allowed. They are going to destroy the house. Seven babies? Now, Chris invited her into our home so she could see our setup. We had placed Diva in one of our closets and fixed a light in a way that for Diva to easily enter and leave her den in order to eat, go to the bathroom, or get snuggles from us. And when our landlord saw the setup, she immediately eased up. Oh, this is so much better than what I was thinking. This is wonderful. Look how cute and tiny they are. Oh, you guys are such good people. Thank you for letting me see this. I feel so much better. I feel at ease. So Chris asked her, we're good, right? Our landlord assured us that we were fine. Now, when Chris told me about the encounter, I got a little annoyed. I mean, why wouldn't she be okay? She knew we were fostering. She approved our application, right? See, I automatically set up in my head that she was in the know. But it didn't matter because crisis was averted. The landlord seemed perfectly okay with our setup and the kittens until the next day. So I had a friend visiting from out of town, so I felt a pang of annoyance shoot up when our landlord approached me as soon as I got home that day. I need to sit down with you and Chris and my son to discuss your rental agreement. I was probably a little shorter with her than necessary. I said, fine, to set it up with Chris since he handled most of those types of meetings and he was also the one with a work schedule. Well, you're a tenant here too. You need to be a part of the conversation. Again, I told her, fine, just set it up with Chris. When I got inside, I told Chris that our landlord was in a tizzy. So he went outside to talk to her because he can be a lot calmer than me. When he came back inside, about five minutes later, he looked pretty frazzled. Well, we're moving by the end of August. What? Chris went outside to ask what was the matter. Our landlord threw out words like, what you're doing is illegal. You can't have that many cats. It's disgusting. Yeah, she used words like disgusting a lot when referencing to something that she didn't like. A bag of wood chips on the front step is disgusting. The garbage can on the curb is disgusting. So Chris asked her what she would like us to do. It was an open-ended question, and we expected her to tell us to get rid of Diva, get rid of the kittens, something, something along those lines. It would have sucked, but it would have made things difficult for the Humane Society, but we would have done it if she had asked. But instead, she told Chris that she wanted us to leave. So Chris nodded and said, if that's what you want, we'll start looking for a new place immediately, and we'll be out of here by the end of August. Now, truth be told, we were already looking to move to Tacoma at the end of 2022. So rather than find a new place in Bellingham for just a couple months, we decided to make the bigger move to Tacoma in August rather than November or December. Now, at this point, the story does get a little bit sad. The two kittens that were born three days later were not thriving, so we tried supplementing them. Unfortunately, they aspirated and they got pneumonia, which must have turned into a viral pneumonia, but we didn't know. They were struggling and struggling, and we ended up separating them, but we did let Mama Diva visit to maintain her connection. And while the two struggled, we were then dismayed to find some of the other other kittens in the litter getting sick as well. We had two gingers, and one of the gingers began acting like the struggling two, within a day, had passed away. We took one of our fighters to be humanely euthanized, thinking that the other one might have a fighting chance, but then the next day, another healthy kitten got sick and died. And then we also realized that our fighter just wasn't thriving. Within one week, 
We lost four kittens. We were devastated. Mama Diva was devastated, but it also sealed the deal for us. We needed to be cleansed of that home. So we had lost both of our older boys that past year. Soli had become diabetic, which quickly transitioned to pancreatitis and then became lymphoma. He died several hours before our at-home euthanasia appointment, and his death broke Chris's and my hearts. Then in February, we said goodbye to our bestest, best cat ever, the kid. Losing Sully and the kid tore us up, but having seven kittens born in our home felt like renewal, like a resurrection, only to lose four of them. So at that point, we were just done. The three remaining kittens and Mama Diva did end up thriving in our home until we were ready to move in August. We found the other ginger boy, who we named Vincent, as in Van Gogh, got along really, really well with the dark gray tabby who we named Le Fay as in Morgan Le Fay. The other kitten, a calico named Calypso, she got along really, really well with Diva, so we decided to keep Vinny and Le Fay and asked the Humane Society to ensure that Diva and Calypso stayed together. It was a stressful situation and a stressful experience, but Chris and I learned a hell of a lot from it. Number one, first and foremost, oh my God, <laughs> Do not assume. I mean, seriously, this whole thing would have been avoided if I had just double-checked with our landlord to see if it was okay to bring a preggers cat home with me. But more than that, this was an opportunity to see, or a lesson to see, how turning situations into opportunities can be good for us. Again, we had been thinking of moving to Tacoma anyways. I was hoping to get a job at Point Defiance Zoo or Northwest Trek, and living in the area might make it easier for me to get involved in volunteering, getting connected with AZAC, and finding opportunities for ZooFit and even Chris's art in a bigger metropolis than Bellingham. And we are glad when we moved when we did, actually. I got in with volunteering by the skin of my teeth, making the deadline to apply as a volunteer on the very last day. I also got some, have some uh, opportunities working with Metro Parks as an instructor and possibly getting ZooFit implemented for school kids and community centers. Not to mention that our new home is just amazing. We have a huge garage returned to a gym, a beautiful wellness room, and now I have my own office as well. So stressful situations can actually be incredible opportunities. Like an oyster, we can turn parasites into pearls. Just need to stay attuned to these challenges and see them as a calling for you to shine as you were meant to. So there you go, my review and my biggest lesson I learned this year. I've had a great, fantastic, fun year sharing books and big ideas with you, and I cannot wait to join you again in 2023. Until then, though, keep living green and training positive today, tomorrow, and forever, and take care.